Okay, we're going to begin this story. It's called The Hoops We Jump Through. It's from uh, It's Rum Life, Book 4, Volume 1, Northcote, 1984-1998. This is um, a different look at how the centre started. This is a Northcote Heavy Horse Centre and all the things we had to contend with at the very beginning. Once we had decided to actually go ahead with the project to create a visitor centre based around the horses, we began to find who our friends really were. Firstly, a planning application had to be submitted for change of use at Northcote. I'd been a local parish councillor for about five years by this time. My colleagues were not convinced it was a good idea. All kinds of stupid objections were raised locally and at the district council. Of course, nobody actually confronted us with these suggestions, objections, questions or queries. They just assumed this and assumed that and consequently created a huge problem that took us ages to sort out. We had help from some official sources that existed to help development and promote different ideas in the countryside. But it was a friend from the past who was to come to our help eventually. Way back in the 1960s, I'd created advertisements in the Boston Standard for a small garage at Sibsey on the main A16 road north of Boston. The garage owner was called Joe Amos and he specialised in those small three-wheeled reliant cars. Joe had been the local agent but he was now retired and a long-standing member of the local district council. It was Joe who pulled our chestnuts out of the fire. He could see that most of the problem was lack of understanding, sour grapes and in some cases just plain jealousy. Joe motivated the council to actually help us and sort out all the initial furore. We did end up with bylaws for this and bylaws for that and other local controls but we did manage to open in July 1989, only a year and three months later than we had originally planned. The alterations would be organised by, by Tony, a friend and husband of a lady who worked with Ruth in the local nursing community. It was, the, it was the fact that work could not start until planning had been granted that caused the major delay. We worked literally night and day, in the end, to open before the summer holidays started and at least try and earn some valuable income in that first year. Over the other side of the fields from the house, there was an excellent concrete access road and this was to be the main entrance to the centre. Existing buildings were altered and new metal frame buildings were constructed. There was toilets, a tea room, a shop, horse buildings, a workshop and much more. Footpaths for visitors, car parking, a loading dock for taking wagon ride passengers, a ride dray, harness storage. The list seemed endless, but we eventually did manage to do it all. 
Early in 1989, the previous district commissioner for the British Dryman Society, Paul Toynton, approached us with a request. He'd been living at a very large country house just outside Louth, and it had now been sold, and Paul had bought an area of private woodland outside Spilsby, but a little room to store his extensive collection of horse-drawn vehicles. We agreed to house the vehicles for Paul and create a carriage museum, an extra attraction for our prospective visitors. All Paul's vehicles were four-wheel carriages of one sort or another and very valuable. They were also historically important and I was able to create interesting notes to place around the museum. When the time came to open to the public, I'd prepared a half-hour conducted tour of that museum, together with an explanation of the historically important parts regarding the development of the wheeled vehicle. Some visitors even found it interesting. On the day of opening, the actual ceremony was very kindly performed by Mr David Kay, the managing director of Thwaites Brewery in Blackburn in Lancashire and at that time honorary secretary of the Shirehorse Society. Finance Everything was built on a shoestring. We never had everything, just as one would have liked, as there was never sufficient money. All the available money went to keep the animals, which initially were just horses. Sam and Ebony, Jupiter and Hebe. Juno, the old Dale's pony, had died by now. There were also a small flock of Soe sheep, a hardy feral breed from the north of Scotland. We were supporters of the Rare Breed Survival Trust, and much of our theme for visitors was based on the work of the Trust. Soe sheep were a rare breed and very good at keeping grassland in good fettle. Initially, using a well-prepared business plan, we were granted an overdraft from the Yorkshire Bank in Lincoln. It changed quickly. Initially, the centre was set up as an enterprise, but within a couple of months of opening, we began to receive requests to rescue big horses. The very first was Admiral, a Suffolk Punch, at the time, these horses, the oldest breed in the UK, were becoming very rare and endangered. A friend in the horse breeding world told us that there was a Suffolk in Leicestershire in danger of being sold for dog meat. We were given the full information and contacted the owner, who had no concern for his horse, only that it had developed a problem with one of its front feet and could no longer work every day. We borrowed a small horse box and raised £900 to pay for the horse and went to see him. Admiral was a lovely big Suffolk gelding, about nine years old. He did have a problem with his right-hand foot, but we would not need him to work all the time, and so we brought him home. Admiral was the very first rescued horse, and quite quickly we began to take in more as we could afford it, Sometimes the horse had a health problem. Sometimes it was the owner with the problem. The whole context of the centre had changed virtually overnight. Word spread that we could provide special care for big horses. We did not keep them in individual stables, but they lived in open-plan buildings, visible to each other, just separated.
Next, the horses learn to obey word commands and not need to be led around with a string. Gradually, we developed our unique visitor programme where the horses, on liberty, that means they're loose, are introduced to the visitors all together in one large building. And it goes on from there. A mission was charged for visitors and we provided a wide range of refreshments in, in our cafe. For the first few years, the income paid for all the expenses, including basic wages, for three part-time helpers. July and August were to become our main cash-earning months, and in fact, for the first three years, we could earn £10,000 in the month of August. Mind you, we needed it, as in the winter, when income was zero, it was the time of our highest expenses. By the end of 1992, we had 15 big horses, including Goliath and Bonnie. It was costing just over £120 each and every day to pay for the care costs of the horses, and this did not include any wages paid to helpers. But then double trouble arrived in the form of a national financial crisis, when bank rates Rocketed, rocketed to a never before 20% and quite quickly we had to face the cri crisis of the natural nat national lottery. Now that's the end of that little bit. Um, you can follow on this story by listening to or reading It Happened at Easter. But that's the end of that short piece written and read by Keith Sanders and brought to you by Cracker Books. You'll probably know now that there's a new ending to all our stories as because of COVID, we closed our shop and made access to all our <laughs> books and stories and videos, publications by Cracker Books, free to download off the internet to any device you choose. So there we are. You can go to our website on the internet and you can look at any one or all of nine complete books nearly 200 audio stories and about a 100 videos. Lots of them are heavy horses. The website address is www.itsarumlife.com The spelling is I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com. There we are. There is hours of listening and reading um, on those sites. Um, do have a good look. And thank you for listening to this.